This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. The Madani Economy Framework sets the lofty ambition of catapulting Malaysia into the world's top 30 economies with a consistent 5.5% annual GDP growth in 10 years. Additionally, the government has also set the target of breaking into the top 30 countries in the Global Innovation Index by 2025, as well as achieving high-tech nation status by 2030. How integrated are science and technology policies in achieving these outcomes? I'm posing this question and more to Yang Berhormat Changli Kang, the Minister of Science, Technology and Innovation. Li Kang, good morning. Thanks so Hi, much for joining morning, me. Shazana. Now, the government launched multiple ambitious blueprints over the past year, yep. most prominently the National Energy Transition Roadmap and the new Industrial Master Plan 2030, or the NIMP. I have to say that from my outsider impressions, the Minister of Science, Technology and Innovation, Mosti, hasn't been as prominent as other ministries in championing these economic strategies, even though science and tech underpin all the advancements that will that we will need uh, for these plans to become reality. So is Mosti playing second fiddle in the economic vision of the country? Well, I I don't see that way, in fact, uh, frankly speaking, because uh, uh, Mosti has um, quite a number of uh, uh, roadmap or blueprint um, is under the purview of Mosti. So, um, of course, first of all, we need to launch uh, roadmaps and blueprints so that we have a, a clearer direction. But uh, at the same time, how to implement it, I think that is more important uh, instead of uh, keep launching new roadmaps or blueprint. Uh, Which is what Mosti has been doing for the past couple of years. In yeah, 2022, exactly. Mosti launched five blueprints exactly, at exactly. one go. Oh. No, I, I, I don't see it as wrong, but uh, I think implementation is more important. So uh, well, I'm focusing in implementation. But uh, just for your information, in fact, we just uh, launched our HETR, Hydrogen Economy and Technology Roadmap. So, well, it's... Uh, we are going to get into that, uh, the nits and nitty gritty of the HETR. Yeah. But can I just ask, how much is science and tech mainstreamed in our policy making? We do have Academy Science Malaysia under the Mosti umbrella. I'm wondering how much is their input being incorporated when we come up with these grand economic plans that cover uh, multiple ministries? Well, I think uh, Academy of Sciences Malaysia uh, plays a very pivotal role uh, besides um, as, an, an, as an agency under Mosti. Uh, the president of ASM is also the um, science, technology, innovation um, advisor to the prime minister. So, and, and if we look at the the budget, uh, just uh, uh, just I mean presented not long ago by the prime minister, uh, you can see um, the prime minister has incorporated a lot of uh, uh, STI um, elements in in that um, <clears throat> budget. Mm. So I, I think uh, ASM plays their role very well, and uh, the prime minister is listening. Okay. I want to focus on human capital. It's arguably the most important component of a science and tech ecosystem. We need the brains and expertise to develop all these innovative ideas and also to put this into practice. But uh, Li Kang, student interest in science and tech has been waning at the foundational level. Less students are taking up science and maths in secondary schools, which means less students uh, taking a science career pathway. Why is the future in science and tech failing to entice the younger generation? Well, there are uh, multiple factors. Um, of course, uh, we are trying very hard now to promote STEM education, uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Uh, in fact, um, we, we, see, we have seen a, a drop 
uh, quite a drastic drop um, from 45% to 40% mm-hmm. each. Uh, now, I mean, just uh, recently uh, um, uh, reported um, by the Ministry of Education, uh, we found that uh, there's a slight increase. Increase. Uh, this means whatever we have been doing is uh, uh, bearing food. What Fruits. are you doing? Well, okay. <laughs> First of all, I mean, uh, of course, KPM play uh, an important role also. I mean, KPM is a, a education ministry uh, in terms of uh, formal education, but um, mostly has been working very hard on the informal sector. Uh, for instance, we we do Mingu Science Nagara. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, although it's a Mingu Science Nagara, but it's a, a, a long period of time, say about half year, six months. <laughs> we are doing roadshow, uh, carnival science uh, and whatnot uh, in every state. And okay. uh, uh, besides that, we also have this uh, Tech Olympics. Uh, Tech Olympic is like a technology Olympic hmm. uh, involving all the students from primary school or secondary schools uh, and also youth. Uh, in all these uh, robotics, drone, uh, well, etc., uh, all these technologies, just just to um, uh, um, just to uh, attract them, uh, so they are this uh, and we we have this hands hands on approach, uh, besides studying or, mm. or just reading from the books. Mm. Uh, Okay. You can you can have a hands-on experience. So these are the things that we are doing. But at the same time, we are also uh, having this program, uh, uh, TV reality show, Inowaton. Um, yeah, it is is uh, is a TV TV show, um, just to show showcase our uh, innovation, not only uh, on technology product, but also social innovation from the grassroots. So okay, it, it's it's to uh, it's to attract uh, our people to know more about uh, innovation, science, technology. Okay, so in that sense, Mosti's role is really to go out to society and get them to see that science is interactive and fun and has practical applications, whereas Ministry of Education is looking at what's happening in schools and how yeah. do we teach science and maths more in a more interesting manner, for example. Exactly. Okay, let's move away from secondary schools, primary schools. Can we look at um, in terms of job prospects and graduate prospects? Yeah. So you've previously highlighted that the shortage of engineers in the country to drive technological advancement um, is... It's short. We're, our engineer-to-population ratio is 1 to 170 compared yeah. to a ratio of 1 to 100 that we see in advanced economies. And yet there are also uh, reports of young engineers dropping out of the profession. They're unable to get jobs. You know, what's causing this? And how are you addressing the gap between available jobs and available talent? Um, th- there are some um, uh, mismatch, I would say. Uh, there are some gap. Uh, in the market. Uh, of course, when you talk to the industry, industry will tell you we are short of engineers. Mm. But when you talk to engineers, they say, well, uh, we are, we are, I mean, you talk to engineering graduates, they will say, well, the the, uh, the wage is too low. Uh, but industry will tell you, oh, of course, because um, uh, we need to train them, retrain them at least for a year. Mm. So that costs a lot of money also. So it's a chicken and egg thing. Uh uh, the, the the role of Mosti is to bring all these uh, players together, uh, all these related uh, relevant parties together. For instance, uh, the universities, the industries, and also uh, graduates, uh, so that we come up with something uh, a module that can uh, really help this uh, ecosystem. Um, because uh, we also need to we also need cooperation from the private sector. Private sector, mm. uh, for instance. Uh, if we don't have enough uh, high-tech, high-value um, or high-wage uh, uh, jobs, then people will be going away. Mm. 
Although, I mean, let's say uh, if we have uh, trained enough uh, talent in our country, in our universities, but the industry is not providing enough job or the job, uh, the wages is too low, then they might go overseas. That's and this, right. this is what's happening now. So, uh, so one thing we need a uh, private sector to adopt uh, technology, especially um, like the, those traditional sectors like um, um, this... Uh, um, uh, manufacturing, of course, and also uh, um, uh, like farming, mm-hmm. agriculture, uh, agriculture. So, so uh, we need we need to have uh, technology adoption, so that on one hand we can cut down the reliance on uh, uh, labor intensive like foreign worker, etc. Uh, but at uh, on the other hand, uh, we can have to create more high value jobs mm. uh, to to so so that we can retain our talent in our country. So you mentioned this whole chicken and egg uh, situation, and I think you've pinpointed that R and D is going to be that crucial lever for us to become a high tech nation. Um, but as you said, investors will channel money when they see we have an ecosystem of scientists and engineers, um, and. I guess, how do you see, how are you empowering universities and other R&D centers uh, to conduct research and, and I suppose provide that incentive for investors? Yeah, in fact, uh, uh, we, we are working very closely with universities, uh, especially with uh, researchers. Uh, uh, very uh, different from uh, many people's perception that uh, our universities are only doing uh, fundamental research, right? Uh, but in fact, there are a lot of them. They are also doing applied research. So uh, we are we are collaborating very well with them, and of course, we have uh, some fund, uh, R and D fund. So we have been funding some of these uh, university researchers. Uh, researchers. Uh, so this is one of the uh, uh, areas that we are working with them. But at the same time, we are also trying to link them up to connect them with the industry, because um, before this, we can see. A gap right. of uh, university product, I mean, uh, in, or innovation that uh, could not be commercialized because uh, not needed in the industry or uh, is too, um, uh, too cost ineffective. Too, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so we need to uh, bring them together so that they can sit down and then they, they work out what they want. I mean, what the industry want, and then uh, the the researchers will uh, at least they will know what is in the uh, industry's mind. Mm. Then they they can they can uh, do their research accordingly. So mostly is that bridge, I suppose, yeah, between yeah. Uh, academic and um, industry. Yeah, we are trying to bridge the gap. Speaking of that bridge between R&D and commercialization, I think what comes into play here is also the government's push to boost the startup ecosystem, right? Because yeah. the idea is we want this tech R&D to be commercialized, to become industry, to be uh, incorporated into the broader economy. So if you look at the Madani economy framework, um, uh, the government pledged 1 billion ringgit worth of government investments in matching grants along yeah. with the private sector. And budget 2024 included incentives to strengthen startups, noted, notably the establishment of a one-stop game gateway for startup business activity. You have 28 million ringgit uh, to do this. What are your plans? Well, in fact, uh, Mosi has been doing this for the past years. Uh, so what we are doing now is we try to uh, improve the system uh, from multiple windows. We are trying to put it in a single window. So single window approach is very important. Um, on one hand, we need to make sure that uh, all these uh, researchers or funding it will be mission oriented. Uh, this is what the country want, and we should emphasize on these areas. So that's why we need a single window. But uh, at the same time, we also need to avoid uh, duplication. Mm. Uh, say we, sometimes we we have this uh, we 
not entrepreneur but a grantopreneur <laughs> so they will go uh, different different uh, agencies to look for grants mm. and then sometimes uh, we'll we'll overlook our agency will overlook and um, same same person or same project will be getting uh, two okay. two grants so we need to avoid all this uh, that's why we have this uh, single window so does that mean all the decision making will come from mosti or how does that work well or- no uh, we have this single window i mean every uh, fund ap- applicants we go to this window and from there they will uh, refer to other clusters okay. so you have different 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 clusters i see but yeah. i suppose the point is coordination will be better yeah, in that yeah, you'll yeah. be able to keep track of who is receiving what yeah. um, when will this single window be in operation well uh, we are trying we are trying uh, very hard to do it i mean by end of this year or early next year Okay. Yeah. What do you see as the biggest obstacles for Malaysian startups to grow into unicorns, Li Kang? There's been this, you know, there's a wide perception that Malaysia isn't fertile enough ground for startups. Mm. I mean, is that the case, or or why is that the case? Well, I think uh, we are not doing enough. I mean, to be to be fair, to be frank, uh, funding aside, uh, we are uh, we also we are also facing some other uh, obstacles like uh, policies and our ecosystem is not matured enough and the. The, the funding, I mean, not only from the government, but also from the private uh, is not uh, um, enough, I would say. And um, if other countries, uh, they entice them with a bigger fund, mm. then uh, these innovators, they might go or startup, they might go. Do so, you think there's too much government presence in the startup ecosystem? Some investors feel like the government is crowding out private investment. Well, uh, the government is trying to help, but of course, uh, uh the the mindset of innovation uh, innovators or startups also very important because uh, we can't be relying entirely on the government funding there will be never enough you see uh, for from the government so the government can only uh, invest in some of these startups that um, is aligned with our um, direction or vision so uh, uh, I, I think private private fund also uh, plays a very important role but I suppose the government could also be more streamlined in where it funds yeah exactly. rather than spreading itself mm. out so thin yeah. I'm speaking to Chang Le Kang Minister of Science Technology and Innovation when we come back we're going to discuss Mosti's role under the NIMP 2030 and also the decision to revise the Linus license stay tuned BFM 89.9 you are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar, and with me today is Chang Li Kang, Minister of Science, Technology and Innovation. Earlier, we covered how Mosti is cultivating the next generation of scientists and technopreneurs. I'd like to turn now to Malaysia's industrial policy. So the NIMP identified advanced materials as the high-growth, high-value sector with four game-changing advanced materials highlighted. There's um, graphene, nitinol, rare earths and MCC polymers. Why these four materials? I mean, I've heard of graphene and rare earths but nithanol and MCC polymers seem completely nascent to me. Well, uh, of course, uh, there, are, there are reasons. Uh, and uh, in fact, we have already launched this uh, advanced material roadmap under under the MOSTI. And uh, we have different uh, agencies working on that. And all these uh, four advanced materials that we are looking at is very important. It's either they are very important now or they, are, they have huge potential uh, in the uh, in the industry uh, in the future so uh, these these are all the things that uh, we are looking at especially uh, when you talk about um, uh, because our, we are talking about uh, energy transition hmm. renewable energy etc uh, I, I say for example graphene can be very useful in uh, um, well, solar panel um, and uh, like uh, 
of course uh, the REE mm. uh, also very important uh, or very important element for this uh, uh, say wind turbine mm. or or other other uh, like chips batteries etc so these are very important in uh, green technology which we are also uh, looking looking uh, at uh, I am reminded of previous government policy pushes for industrial science and tech that haven't yielded desired results. I mean, back when I was in school in the late 90s, uh, biotech was the buzzword of the day and the future of Malaysian industry that hasn't quite materialized. So how will this endeavor be any different? Well, uh, I'm not sure what what uh, what was the reason that uh, they failed in the past. But uh, I, I wouldn't say feel, but maybe... Uh, delay uh, in fact we are still looking at uh, biotechnology uh, well in a big way uh, through i mean under mosti uh, we have this nibm uh, national institute of biotechnology malaysia we also have this uh, bioeconomy uh, corporation when trying to uh, uh, help this uh, R&D product to commercialize. Mm. And also we are also uh, looking at other things like uh, vaccine development, uh, human vaccine development. So I, I think we are still uh, very, we are following very closely uh, in this uh, biotechnology um, um, uh, field. Uh, problem with this, uh, you know, R&D, science, uh, it, it takes time. There's no low hanging fruits. So when you look at it, um, uh, if you only look at uh, the outcome, uh, then, I mean, if you are uh, out- outcome or results oriented, mm-hmm. then maybe we are still um, slightly lagging behind. But if, if you look at the, the development as a whole, I think we are making progress. Okay. Yep. I want to turn our attention to rare earths. Yep. So if I understand correctly, the licensing for rare earth mining activity that involves radioactive materials, that falls under Mosti's purview. Yes. But the government is advocating for the expansion of the non-radioactive rare earth elements or REE production, yep. as you mentioned. So what role will you play in this push for non-radioactive REE? Well, in fact, uh, the non-radioactive, uh, I mean, non-radiative uh, element, array of element, uh, it's under uh, NRECC okay. because that is under the mining sector. Uh, uh, mostly, we only regulate under the AELP, uh, Atomic Energy Licensing Board. Uh, we only regulate anything more than one baccalaureate per gram uh, in terms of radiation. Okay. So anything below that, uh, we'll call it, uh, we, don't, we don't call it a radiative uh, Let us turn to that radioactive material situation then, okay? Looking at the Linus issue. So in February and May, you took a resolute stance on the license conditions for the Linus plant in Gibbing. This was first imposed back in 2020. You upheld it. The company cannot conduct activities that produce radioactive waste in Malaysia from July. It was then extended to December. Last week, Linus announced that it would shut down almost all operations in Malaysia because it was not able to fulfill the conditions of its license beginning November. Three days later, AELB revised the license conditions that would permit Linus to continue operating, including its cracking and leaching facility, as well as the importation of lanthanide. Did the government concede to economic pressure on this? Uh, not really. I mean, I've anticipated this uh, this question. Uh, in fact, um, uh, there is no change in our position. Uh, in fact, um, our position today uh, is in line, uh, is aligned, is aligning with our original intention, which is uh, not to allow any company to continuously cre- um, produce radiative waste. So including, of course, including liners. So uh, what we are doing now, uh, we amended some of the conditions in the license 
uh, we took out, I mean, we allow them to import lanthanide concentrate. We allow them to continue with their Kraken leaching process, but they have to do thorium extraction. Uh, what What is so important about thorium extraction? Uh, in fact, um, the, the waste uh, is radiative mainly because of the existence of thorium. So, uh, in fact, there is this uh, technology, I mean, not entirely new technology, it is uh, already existed. Uh, just that some of these companies, they, they, they are not keen to use this uh, because it's costly. And uh, for them, the cheapest way is where you mine, you process on the, uh, on the spot, and then you dump the waste into the mine, mine site. So that is the most uh, cost-effective way. But unfortunately, we can't do it here because the lanthanide concentrate is from Australia. So we don't have uh, any mining site here. Mm. So we have to make sure if we want to stop liners from continuously producing radiative waste, we have to stop them uh, from the source. So they have to do uh, lanthanide, uh, sorry, uh, thorium extraction uh, from the feedstock. Will this be done in Australia before the material even arrives on our shores? Well, uh, they have to do it in Malaysia because they are they are bringing the uh, mine, the lanthanide concentrate from Australia. So thorium extraction is going to be done here in Malaysia. And if I understand correctly, yeah. uh, Li Kang, it's a pilot project. It's not yet commercially feasible. It's been confirmed in laboratory settings uh, by our scientific communities uh, authorities, but it hasn't been scaled up. And it would take at least two years for Linus to actually implement thorium extraction. Yeah. Why did you agree to this proposal? Well, if we look at the original proposal, let's say if, if we stop liners now and they stop operating, uh, um, they can't import lanthanide concentrate, they can't do uh, crack and leaching. So, okay, they might leave the country. But so at it's the, an but economic decision? No, no. At the same time, we have to deal with more than 1 million metric ton of radiative waste. So we either keep it in the PDF forever or we have to fork out money ourselves just to neutralize it into scheduled waste. So we are facing this situation. I don't, it's imperfect. So if, let's say, liners leave the country, but they also will, they will also leave us with uh, more than a million metric ton of waste. But now is, uh, I would say, a win-win situation because they can continue to operate, but at the same time, they have to scale up uh, the, the technology that we have into an industry uh, skill so that they can they can uh, stop continue, continuously accumulating uh, radiative waste. Okay. So on one hand, on the other hand, they can also solve our existing waste problem. Okay. Uh. So that's how you're holding Linus accountable in that yeah, sense. You're yeah. still making them responsible for that yeah. waste. Can I just check the production of a radioactive um, the production of radioactive waste does continue. It's they're supposed to put it in a permanent disposal facility yeah, that has yeah. not been completed. Yeah. It was only 32% finished in February. When is this PDF going to be completed? Well, if everything runs well, I mean, uh, I, I would say uh, now uh, say about 40% completion. So if everything uh, goes well, then uh, by end of 2025 or... 2025, oh, that's sorry, a long I mean, time away. Uh, by 20, end of 2024 or uh, early 2025. Why has say. it taken so long for this PDF to be constructed, Lee Kang, given that it was part of the 2020 license appro- uh, renewals um, conditions? Yeah. Well, to be fair to them... Uh, um, I, I've seen some some of the documents because uh, it's not during my time. I've seen some some of the documents. Uh, there were delay uh, during the pandemic time, and also there were delay because of change of uh, location. So um, I mean, on their side, I don't see any delay. Uh, they are still uh, building it. Uh, well, I'm not trying to whitewash because uh, <laughs> I'm not a fan of any company, but I'm just trying to be uh, uh, scientific. Yeah. 
and professional. I'm speaking to Chang Li Kang, Minister of Science, Technology and Innovation, on an extended edition of The Breakfast Grill. After the 8.30am news bulletin, um, we're going to find out more about Malaysia's plans to grow the hydrogen economy and what AI regulation could look like. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. If you've just tuned in, this is an extended edition of The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar and joining me in the studio today is Chang Li Kang, Minister of Science, Technology and Innovation. So earlier, Li Kang, we were talking about the Linus decision. And I wanted to just ask, because the ongoing controversy over radioactive exposure through Linus activities doesn't seem to bode well for the government's broader plans to build on nuclear technology. There seems Mm. to be a, a distrust of government messaging on the safety and efficacy of nuclear technology uh, that that works against your efforts to expand its use yeah why how are you addressing this uh, in fact uh, when we talk about nuclear technology uh, it's not it's not only about power generation in fact we are talking about um, you see I, I, we categorize this uh, nuclear technology into these two uh, peaceful or not peaceful the use, uh, peaceful use or not peaceful. So we are on the peaceful use. And uh, under this peaceful use, we, we, we also categorize is power generation or non-power generation. So we are talking about the non-power generation. Okay. So uh, in fact, this uh, nuclear technology has been a uh, very long time in Malaysia. Um, and I mean, just for your information, we have a nuclear reactor well, uh, in Malaysia um, since... 80s. For research purposes, For no? research purposes, right. yes, of course. Well, I guess uh. widespread use of nuclear technology, do you think that you will be able to affect that given the concerns that people have about nuclear safety? Well, we, I mean, uh, without people knowing that, uh, we have been using it very extensively in, say, uh, food preservation, in terms of uh, also um, like technology, uh, like gamma technology, uh, and also uh, in uh, medical usage. So we have been using it quite uh, extensively. Mm. Uh, for instance, I give you uh, an example. I mean, our nuclear Malaysia. So uh, we have uh, used this uh, nuclear technology to come up with a new breed of rice. We call it uh, NMR, uh, nuclear Malaysia rice. Mm. And it's more resilient and also uh, more productive. So these, these are the things that we have been using uh, nuclear technology. But people, of course, uh, maybe they are not aware of it or, or they just... Is that down to poor communication from, I guess, these research authorities, perhaps? Or yeah, is there, is there I think a, so. A clear, is there like a mindset, a rogue obstacle within oh, public well, perception about part nuclear? Part of it is, of course, because... Uh, is, is part of it is because of our poor communication. But the other thing is also, uh, maybe people are worried about that. People have this uh, stigma about uh, nuclear technology. So uh, maybe they just don't want to uh, inform so that uh, people, I mean, we don't have a, a panic. I mean, we don't press the panic button. Right. So you mentioned power generation that's not on the cards. We're not considering nuclear energy. Is well, that power, the case? power generation is under uh, NRCC um, because energy is under them. So it's not under the purview of Mosti. Does Mosti have a position on this? Do you think that it's something that we should be pursuing, nuclear energy? No, we don't have a position yet, uh, and uh, we are. I mean, we are. We are prepared. I mean, to help if anyone is looking at this, because we have this expertise in our Japatan Nuclear Malaysia. Okay, let us turn to the National Energy Transition Roadmap. That is the centerpiece of our journey to net zero carbon emissions. Mosti is spearheading one of the six transition levers, namely hydrogen. Why is the government betting on hydrogen instead of focusing on tried and tested renewable energy sources like uh, solar and hydro? 
Well, if maybe we are looking at uh, <coughs> achieving uh, net zero uh, emission by 2050, so if we want to achieve this target, uh, uh, basing, uh, I mean, if we only um, rely solely on solar or hydro or wind, uh, we are not going to achieve it. So uh, we need to explore more uh, possibilities, and hydrogen is one of these uh, possibilities that we are exploring. And in fact, um, uh, the researchers uh, in overseas, uh, hydrogen is quite promising as a green um, energy or storage. So uh, that's why we are looking at this uh, to develop a hydrogen economy. There is considerable skepticism about mm. the potential of hydrogen energy. That its outcomes have been overestimated. That its uses are quite limited. Actually, where do you see the use of hydrogen um, in Malaysia? Where what is the focus going to be on in terms of development of this hydrogen economy? Well, uh, at the moment, people are still. Uh, I mean, industry are using hydrogen, but uh, we are looking at green hydrogen. Green hydrogen means um, the source of the energy to transform um, to transform it into hydrogen is clean. So uh, we have advantage in this uh, this area because, uh, for example, uh, we have uh, Sarawak. Sarawak is doing. Uh, Uh, they are, they are doing very well. I mean, they are way ahead of us. I mean, uh, I mean, of uh, uh, average uh, other states. Uh. Uh, so um, they they have this hydro, of course, mainly because they have this hydro dam, and the energy source of the energy is clean. So they can create, they can produce the green hydrogen. But at the same time, uh, we are also looking at other areas. Uh, for instance, um, we need to create um, uh, an ecosystem so that uh, besides production, there are also users. Um, uh, we are we are going to have this uh, mobile first mobile filling station hydrogen filling station in Malaysia uh, will be in Cyberjaya. So we are we, we are trying to start soon as soon as possible uh, as soon as end of the end of end of the year. But where to get uh, users? So we are working with uh, we are working with uh, um, our Malaysia uh, Airport Authority um, to transform their vehicles into hydrogen powered uh, vehicle. So that uh, I mean, of course, the production is low, uh, but at least they are users. And and uh, at the moment we know uh, hydrogen is still very uh, 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 still costly. Yes, it yeah. is costly, and it feels like a lot of investment for something that has very little output. Well, well, this is science. You see, uh, the problem with science is uh, you first you need to invest. Then it will take a longer time uh, to achieve what you want to achieve. But the, the initial initial investment is very important. If you look at other countries, uh, say for instance China, Korea, now we are looking at them. We admire them because of their uh, advancement in technology. But uh, we didn't see the part that they invested. From very beginning, uh, for instance, uh, China invested in space technology since the 60s. So 60s, they were so poor, but still they invested there. And today we can see uh, uh, their, I mean, uh, their achievement. They have a man on the moon, moon yeah, missions. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so we we also need to be uh, well, we need to be more open about science, R and D, because uh, all these uh, uh, we we can bear fruit. Okay. In the future. It's really long-term vision that's yeah, needed yeah. in this. We have about two, three minutes left. I do want to talk about a generative artificial intelligence. It's taken the world by storm, and it, the Ministry of Economy projects that AI could contribute more than 100 billion US dollars in productive capacity for Malaysia. I mean, that sounds like a silver bullet to propel mm. Malaysia to become a high-income nation. But do we have the framework, infrastructure, and expertise to capitalize on the AI global trend? And what is Mosti's role in this? Because it seems like 
everybody's involved in it with the Minister of Communication and Digital, Minister of Economy. What's this, what is the landscape in Malaysia for AI? Well, the good thing about uh, AI is uh, it cut across all ministries. So all ministries will be involved in this uh, developing this AI uh, <clears throat> AI technology. And of course, uh, mostly we are, we are looking at uh, technology development. But at the same time, we are also looking at how to collaborate with all the ministries uh, that are involved in this uh, AI thing. Because uh, not only ministry, but also say uh, civil service. Uh, we, we can also adopt AI, generative AI in uh, uh, pro- providing uh, the, our services to the people. Is there uh, a policy on chat GPT for government services at the well, moment? Well, no. Uh, at the moment, no, because uh, Mosti is looking at regulation. Uh, now we are um, setting up a framework. Um, I mean, we, we have a committee with uh, industry player and academy academicians. Uh, we are setting up a framework uh, by as early as early, um, next year, early next year, we can have this framework. In fact, uh, this is something very new uh, because uh, all over the world, uh, there's only this uh, EU has passed uh, a, a regulations on AI. Mm. So, um, I mean, not that is EU parliament. So uh, for them to enforce, that would be uh, they, they would take more time. What are you particularly worried about AI in Malaysia? What what would you be looking to really govern? So we need to make sure that uh, we use AI very responsibly because uh, AI can be very uh, dangerous, especially uh, uh, you see, now we can we we can we can see a lot of uh, uh, deep fake uh, that kind of thing. You know, people can be conned by uh, AI. So uh, and I have seen how scary it is. Uh, they can really uh, imitate. Uh, it's like you talking to your friend, mm. and you won't see any difference uh, if you train the AI well. So uh, uh, we are looking at that regulate regulations and also uh, uh, at ethics. Lah. I mean uh, AI ethics. Okay. Uh, so 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 I mean we we are, we are uh, quite well positioned because uh, this. Uh, uh, Oxford Insects. They they rank they rank us at uh, 29th in the world as uh, our global AI readiness really? index. Really, yep. that yep. seems pretty high. But yeah, okay, yeah. okay, mm. we will be watching this space. Final question, Li Kang, in the 30 seconds or so that we have, um, you have so much on your plate: hydrogen energy, AI, rare earths. What is happening to our space initiative in the meantime? Has that been put on the back burner? No, no, not at all. Because uh, we are also looking uh, at space technology and. Uh, it is something very big in the future. And we are looking at uh, developing our own uh, rocket launching facilities and also our uh, own remote sensing satellite. So uh, this will be uh, uh, some interesting thing uh, in the pipeline. We're going to have to have you back on, Lee Kang, when all these uh, projects come to light. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much for speaking with me thank today. Thank you, thank you. I've been speaking to Chang Lee Kang, Minister of Science, Technology and Innovation. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.